Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Holy Spirit, now for indeed, Wali Amin. Happy Father's Day. And on that note, I'd like to start with a short story. So there was this dad who was about to retire, and he was the CEO of a big company. So he gathered his children and he told them, the one who can bring something that can fit in their pocket, but can fill the entire room, will succeed me as the head of this company. So they thought long and hard. The first one went out and came back with a pocket full of balloons. And the dad said, he blew, you know, he blew the balloons and he showed his dad, but the dad wasn't convinced. He didn't buy it. He's like, yeah, it's okay. It fills like most of the room, but there's a lot of empty space there. Uh, especially between the balloons, right? And uh, the second one came in with a pocket full of seeds. And he said, this, you, you have to wait. But eventually, they're going to fill the entire room. And he said to him, I see what you're doing there. I see it's a good idea. But still, it's not going to fill the entire room. There's still going to be <coughs> gaps and spaces and stuff. And of course philosophers and smart people have been arguing and debating about this for centuries now to try to find out the third child who actually became the CEO after his father. What did the child do? What would you bring if you were in that situation? Air. Air? But it just fits in your pocket. But just a little bit in your pocket. What about the rest of them? I guess if you can compress it, maybe, but your pocket's not going to be able to hold compressed air. Air, love, love, okay. You can, that can fit in your pocket? Is it something that can maybe can hold in your hand? That's a good guess, okay. Any final guesses? Someone said perfume. Very good, actually, yes. Uh, one of the guesses that people came up with was a rose. So the, the child, the third child brought out a rose and he said the aroma from that rose fills the entire room. And it was true, it filled everywhere. Everywhere you go in that room, you can smell the aroma. You can smell the perfume. Yeah, you're on the right track. Another one brought a light bulb. You put it on, yeah, you turn it on, the light fills the entire room. Another one brought a songbird. And then the songbird sang a song, and the song filled the entire room. But by far, the best guess, someone pulled out a phone and showed the dad, you know, that Coptic dad jokes video? <laughs> and laughter filled the entire room. Recently, I was watching uh, Beauty and the Beast. Don't ask why. I was watching Beauty and the, the, the Disney Beauty and the Beast, and it got me thinking. So I started looking into the original fairy tale. So the, the movie is based on, on a story that was written in the 18th century. Okay? It's, uh, and it was in French by a French author. And anyways, the original story is very different than the movie. Disney makes it so that it's all nice and cute and wholesome, but the original story is quite dark. But it's funny, in, in the movie, when you watch, especially at the beginning, you see that Belle is, you know that she is the, uh, the protagonist, she's the heroine of the story, because she's the only one that reads. No one else is interested 
maybe just the sheep. When she sits and the sheep come over and they take a look and, and see what she's reading. And they, but everyone else in the, in the village, they're concerned about their busy things, about their daily lives, how they're going to make money today, how they're going to make a living today. Uh, Gaston, her, you know, her suitor, the person that's trying to, to marry her, you know, he's concerned with, with hunting and brave and manly things and, and all that. But nobody's concerned with reading except for Belle. And in the Disney version, Belle sees that her father's horse comes back to the village without her father. So she knows something is wrong. So she rides the horse and tells the horse to take her back where her father is. And this is how she discovers that her father was taken uh, prisoner by the beast. Okay. In the original story, however, the beast lets the father go on one condition. He says, I'll let you go. The father tells him that I took a rose from the garden. First of all, it wasn't like this magical rose that was in a vase or whatever. It was in a garden. So he took one of the roses and the beast got very upset and took him prisoner. And then the beast uh, uh, um, um, is talking with him. So the father tells him that I have three daughters. One of them actually uh, asked me for a rose and that's why I took a rose. So he tells him, listen, I will let you go and I will give you three months. Three months. As long as you promise, either you or your daughter come back and become my prisoner for life. Forever. You become my prisoner, you live here in the castle as a prisoner. Now this part is not in the movie and this part raises a lot of ethical questions because the dad is like, okay. He goes out, he's obviously torn about the decision. Is he really going to deliver his daughter to a fate like this? And when he goes home, he tells the daughter, and she has two sisters, by the way. And in the, in the original, the, the sisters are very mean to her, kind of like Cinderella's sisters. And uh, they end up being turned to statues at the end of the movie, but that's not uh, relevant right now. But anyways, the dad tells them the story. And of course, his daughter who loves him, she tells him that I will take your place. I will go back and I will become the prisoner for you to go free. And the dad struggles with it, but it eventually is like, okay, which kind of raises, you know, some ethical concerns for us when we hear this stuff. And not only that, but when it was time at the end of the three months, she's like, I don't know the way to the castle. So it's like, I'll take you there. I'll show you the way. So he takes her to the castle. Again, raises some ethical questions. Like, is her dad really going to let her uh, become a prisoner for the rest of her life just so he can go free? And when they get there, there's a lot of sadness and crying, but the dad agrees and he leaves. And he leaves his daughter there. Now, of course, the rest of the story is that the beast is really a prince with a curse and there's a love story and eventually love sets him free from the curse. But the question is, why would this dad do this? Why would this dad uh, put himself ahead of his daughter? Fatherhood as we know it is sacrifice, self-sacrifice. That's why we call the fatherhood of God and the motherhood of the church. And the, and the church teaches us and the fathers teach us that we cannot call God father if we don't call church 
mother. And the reason, and we're always reminded in the prayers of the sacrifice. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That he gave himself up for the life of the world. So when you see stories like that, it's, it puts everything in such a vivid contrast. Our first relationships in the world, as we know them, are as infants, as babies, as children. And these relationships we depend wholly on our parents. The parents give us everything. They give us everything we need to survive. They give us food, sustenance, safety, security, change the diaper. They do everything. The next kind of relationship, you grow a little bit, and you begin to experience this egalitarian type relationship where you have a relationship maybe with a brother or sister, you have relationships with friends, with peers, with co-workers, with colleagues. And the relationship is reciprocal, giving and receiving. But the relationship with father and mother remains as unique, as one where parents continue to give. But still, there is an even more unique type of relationship, and that is a friendship. A friendship is so unique, so much more than any blood relation, because it's utterly voluntary. You choose who your friends are. You don't choose who your family is. And when Christ wanted to, uh, to show how great, great love could be, he likened it to friendship. He said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends to lay down one's life for his friends he tells his disciples you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain but whatever you ask the father in my name he may give you the friends that we read about today in the parable, these friends in in the miracle, these friends, they they really cared about their friend, right? The paralyzed man. But when we usually think that the the paralyzed man really needed them to get to where Jesus was, but we often forget that they needed him as well, just the, the same way yeast and flour need each other. Apart. Yeast and flour will spoil, will go bad. But together, when they were in the dough, they become something better, something good, something beneficial. The four friends actually needed the paralytic. He gave their love a way to become a reality. And the paralyzed man was not in the way, but he was the way for them to see Christ. A few years ago, Iceland announced that they have um, gotten Down syndrome to 0%. Do you know how they did that? They're able to have a 0% down. They killed them. They did prenatal screenings. Anyone who, was, who had a predisposition, who had a likelihood to be born with Down syndrome, was automatically aborted. 
and they saw this as a great way forward, a great leap forward, uh, a progress of sorts that we got rid of this great disease, of this great suffering in the world. Was not by, uh, by, by seeing the paralytic as a way, as the way to salvation, but as an obstacle to salvation. Well, however they define salvation to be. They wanted a society free from pain and suffering. They saw that illness is in the way, so they got rid, not of the illness, but of the ill. Not of the sickness, but of the sick. The fathers remind us, and especially in this miracle, that the healing of the physical was secondary. And it was always in the service of the healing of the inner man, of the spiritual. The physician may give more time, but this time is always used in the service of repentance, in the service of salvation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we looked at everything, every part of creation, he said that it was good. But then at the end, you know what he said? It was very good. It was very good. When looking at everything, God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And St. Augustine says this, if prudent observers, if careful readers of Scripture consider the single works of God, they find them individually in their own species praiseworthy. They look at every part of creation as being something nice and good and beautiful and praiseworthy. But, and this is true of all of them, but taken all together, the universe is filled with these individual things gathered into a unity for every beauty that is composed of parts is much more praiseworthy in the whole than in a part. That individual beauty, while no one can deny, it does not negate that we're all called to a higher beauty, to a higher beauty. How did these friends take over or overcome all of these obstacles? They were able to see this higher beauty that this paralytic friend was called for. This paralytic friend was their friend. They cared about him. But they saw that there is a higher beauty for them and for him. And in order for this higher beauty to be realized, they had to come together. It could not be realized individually. It could not be realized on their own. They were able to do something few of us can. They were able to see the paralytic man the same way God saw him. Imagine the person that annoys you the most. I'm not saying brother or sister. That's yeah, that, that's annoying, and we love them, and we don't go sleep mad and angry with each other. We love each other. We annoy each other. That's okay. But <clears throat> but imagine if we saw the world, if we saw each other the way God saw us. What wouldn't we do for one another? What wouldn't we forgive for one another? What wouldn't we sacrifice for the sake of the other? And this is what the paralyzed, the four friends teach us today. That they were able to see the paralytic man as God saw him. As Dostoevsky wrote, the Russian author, to love someone means to see them as God intended them. <coughs> to love someone is to see them as God intended them. 
This is how God sees us, not just as individual creatures, but as the body called to a higher beauty that can only be realized in the fullness of the church. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.